Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. This is a podcast from HSBC Global Research, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Search for HSBC Global Viewpoint or join us via the HSBC Global Banking and Markets page on LinkedIn. However you're listening, analystifications, disclosures and disclaimers must be viewed on the link attached to your media player. Hello from Hong Kong and welcome to another edition of Under the Banyan Tree, where we put Asian markets and economics in context. I'm Fred Newman, Chief Asia Economist at HSBC, back at our Asian headquarters here in Hong Kong after a few weeks on the road. My regular co-host, Harold van der Linde, is taking a break from podcasting duties this week as he travels around the U.S. meeting clients. But I'll be joined in a moment by Stephen Sun, head of research at our Chinese joint venture, HSBC Tianhai Securities. This week's show is all about mainland China, specifically what's caused the heavy losses on the A-share market this year and how the macro backdrop is shaping our expectations for the overall economy heading into 2023. Plenty to talk about, so without further ado, let's start the show. So when it comes to equity markets in mainland China, it's hard to sugarcoat the headline numbers. A-shares are down about 30% year-to-date. Offshore investment via Hong Kong, or what we call northbound investment, is down nearly 80%. And, and even things like mutual fund issuance, for example, has really fallen by a similar amount. What's going on here? Well, joining me now to discuss what's behind this and how it's impacting investor sentiment is Stephen Son, head of research at HSBC Qianhai Securities uh, in mainland China, who's just published his latest quarterly report on the A-share market in China. Stephen, great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Fred. So you've been speaking uh, to a lot of investors inside and out of China, Stephen. Uh, give us your take on what's been driving those A-share losses uh, this year. Uh, that's correct. We have been talking to a lot of uh, investors globally and domestically. Uh, I can certainly say that both the external and internal top concern, you know, it's the um, U.S. inflation and also a zero-COVID policy. Both have contributed to a significant liquidity decline into the A-share market. The COVID situation certainly affects um, willingness to buy equity products uh, for investors in the China market. Uh, externally, I think it's stopping U.S. inflation. And as a result of that, U.S. Fed playing uh, catch up in terms of hiking interest rate very aggressively. So for those two reasons, we have seen inflow to the A-share market have dropped almost 80% year over year, uh, both in terms of the northbound inflow, as well as, you know, domestic and mutual fund insurance. Let's zoom in on the zero COVID angle for a moment that you mentioned. Is it fair to say at this point that we underestimated really how widespread the outbreaks and lockdowns would be across mainland China? 
Yes, we uh, have significantly underestimated the stickiness of zero COVID policy in China. Uh, this is probably the elephant in the room. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of the actual timing when China is going to um, materially change or to eventually end zero COVID policy. Uh, clearly, there's a lack of consensus in the market. Uh, and in the meantime, it's extremely difficult to add value in terms of forecasting the actual timing uh, for a material zero COVID policy change in China. Um, so that's why uh, we have uh, decided in this report to look at uh, more medium to long-term issues concerning China's economic growth potential and uh, more fundamental issues. Okay, let's focus on some of these more fundamental issues now, because it seems that a lot of investors are asking the same question, and that's really, will there be a balance sheet contraction in China like we saw maybe in Japan in the 1990s? Now, before getting into that, give us a, some context here. What exactly happened in Japan in the 1990s? Uh, certainly. Basically, three decades ago, Japan's overly accommodative monetary policy was followed by rapid tightening with policy rate hikes trying to cool the overheating economy. That was believed to be a major contributor to the downturn in terms of uh, land, property, and the stock prices. And together with weak economic growth over the next three decades, it actually started to change behaviors for the Japanese companies. They decided to uh, shrink their balance sheet, especially for the corporates, instead of maximizing profit, repaying debt becomes the number one priority. And as a result of that, that's leading to the so-called balance sheet recession or balance sheet contraction, if you will. All right. Obviously, if you look at China right now, there are certain similarities to that. How are you describe it in, in Japan back then? Uh, markets are down. Growth was slowing. There's lots of corporate debt. Um, you've done various comparisons between the two scenarios. What have you found? That's correct. We have uh, looked at you know eight or nine aspects of that. Let me just briefly walk you through. On the positive side, China has a much stronger GDP growth momentum. Uh, going into uh, the economic downturn versus Japan. And more importantly, China's per capita GDP is roughly 18% that of the U.S. Whereas, you know, Japan, when the stagnation started, uh, the uh, per capita GDP has already reached over 70% of the U.S. So certainly there's still much more room for growth in China's case. Another Metrics we look at is stock market capitalization to GDP. Uh, when bubble burst in Japan, the total market cap reached almost 140% of GDP. If you look at China, the ratio is standing at slightly above 80%, telling you that the stock market is clearly much more reasonably priced in China's case. Uh, however, on the other side, the property bubble in China is certainly much more severe, both in terms of house price to income ratio, uh, as well as house price to rent ratio, China has significantly exceeded the bubble period in Japan. On the corporate sector, China's uh, corporate debt level is currently at uh, over 150% GDP. That's actually uh, much higher than that of Japan in the 90s. And last but not least, 
China's population growth has declined much earlier than Japan at um, a similar time. So with all that in mind, if we were to ask you, could we see a balance sheet recession in China like we saw in Japan a few decades ago, what, what would you say? Um, certainly, investors are concerned about whether China could follow a similar path. At the end of the day, I think you know it's about uh, capital allocation. It's about risk taking. It's about whether China could successfully reinvigorate animal spirit entrepreneurship in the private sector. So, private sector versus um, public sector tends to be more innovative in terms of uh, helping. Productivity game of the economy, private sector certainly can do a much better job. So on balance, we still believe China is unlikely to have a balance sheet contraction, especially if you know Beijing can manage to reinvigorate entrepreneurship and encourage investors back into the private sector. That's our conclusion for this report. Stephen, great to get your insights and many thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Well, we're going to wrap up here, folks. Many thanks for joining us under the Banyan tree. We'll be back again next week to discuss more on markets and economics in Asia. Till then, take care and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.